four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go. Hey, can we turn that music down a bit? Wrong button. What now? Now we hit the hub. Get a Thunderbirds cup, a kid's soft drink, and a kid's cheese and tomato pizza for $2.99. Yes, John? Hey, guys, you haven't forgotten about me, have you? Coming right up. For a Thunderbirds meal, hit the hut. Hello, we're Bloopcast. I'm Ewan. I'm Rob. And I'm James. But the question is, why are we Bloopcast? Yes, my lady. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't expect that, that to be fair. <laughs> yes, my ladies and gentlemen. And the reason I said that is because it ties into what we are discussing today, which is Thunderbirds, the classic supermarination series from the 1960s. If I hum that, that, that doesn't get covered by copyright, so we're allowed to do that. So for those of you who have who are listening who have no idea what Thunderbirds is, it's a TV series from 1965, which was made by, well, husband of and wife team, Jerry and Silver Anson, using a puppeteering technique that I pioneered called super marination. And it was set in the year 2065, so it's 100 years in the future from where from when they made it. And it follows the adventures of International Rescue, an organization run by billionaire ex-astronaut Jeff Tracy with his five sons named Scott, Virgil, Alan, Gordon, and John. And they operate from an island in the South Pacific and take command of of a series of futuristic rescue vehicles, which are the Thunderbirds the show is named after. And they have a secret agent uh, in, in Britain who works for them called Lady Penelope, uh, who has her trusty um, butler, Parker, and, and chauffeur, I should mention, because they, they, drive, they drive the, um, the Fab One, F-A-B-1 car. It's a, a pink Rolls Royce with a bunch of James Bond-style gadgets in it. Yeah, and we also got the... Yeah. Uh, lab assistant Tintin oh, and engineer. Oh, yeah. And brains. And brains. Yes, forgot about that, bro. He's the best one. What <laughs> brains? I love. I love. Well, he's never um, forgotten. There's Kirano as well. Kirano is the half brother of the series' main antagonist, even though he appears in six episodes, known as the Hood, I've who got... wants to yeah. wants to steal the secrets of international. Rescue in order to sell them. So basically, oh, oh, shows is, up, that his, he, is that his motive? I, I couldn't yeah. tell because yeah, I, no I, 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 I've got a lot to say yeah, about Hood. He's a weird cookie. Carry on. Yeah, sorry, Rob. So yeah, whenever the Hood shows up, um, normally what does he see? Um, he gets like a camera, or in one case, like a, a video camera, and he will like take photographs or video of the Thunderbirds in action in order for him and then his plan is to go and sell it to think, the highest bidder who whoever. Is that his motive? That is yeah, his motive. That's pretty yeah. much what the fuck? Pretty much <laughs> <what happened there>. <laughs> <laughs> After all that he literally buries like poor brains in the sand at one point and dehydrates him almost to death because he wants to sell a photo to the highest bidder. He's got all these psychic yep. powers and stuff and he just wants to make a buck. Yeah. That's really <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> if only I could get to the radio. 
What would you do then, my friend? <laughs> Inform your friends at International Rescue? No, that is out of the question, I'm afraid. Where are the others? What have you done with the others? I shall deal with them later. But first, I want some information from you. Where is the treasure concealed in the underwater temple? Well, <laughs> yeah. it, it was the 60s, so... <laughs> but one of the things that interests me about Thunderbirds is its future. Because it's... Uh, what, what year did you say it took place again in, Rob? 2065. So yeah. So 100 years after they made it. Yeah. So that kind of takes place in the... It takes place in the spy-fi future. Kind of like... With Spy-Fi, it's like gadgets and stuff like that. You've seen uh, James Bond and like old cartoons and stuff like that. So it's interesting they actually made a whole kind of futuristic landscape that's just that. Because you see it with like futuristic sci-fi, it's always kind of like, you know, uh, cyberpunk, steampunk, and all that sort of thing. Spy-Fi is not a genre that we see a lot of, so it's interesting to see that in Thunderbirds. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's a very yourself. 60s version of the future as well, because mm. one thing that I notice is, nowadays we all have like tiny mobile phones, but... In Thunderbirds, had these big bloody um, video <laughs> call boxes. Yeah. Lady Penelope refers to a telly call, is what they call their, their, <laughs> video, their video calls, um, which I found quite funny. It reminded me of uh, in The Simpsons when when Lisa and Marge, it's, it's like in the year 20, the future of the year 2010, and they're talking on what Lisa calls the picture phone, is the other one. Um, Apparently, just all of these people predicting the future could never get what is a very obvious name, video phone or video call, um, correct, but oh well. Um, yeah, no, the, the 60s aesthetic, though, is funny to me, because it, it's, it's very, it reminds me of Fallout, yeah. where society and progressed at all since the 1960s so everything still looks 1960s 100 years later and funny enough in in one of the, one of the movies cause there was two thunderbirds movies um like cliff richards um style of music so big that he's we've got cliff richard jr playing exactly the same oh kind of music God. 100 that years was, on that was one of the dumbest and and like cringiest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> we'll get on to that later, but um, so I'm going to talk about how I discovered Thunderbirds. Yeah, um, yeah. It's an interesting one because I don't really have a distinct memory of the first time I saw Thunderbirds because it's something I've liked as long as I can remember. So to research this is, one well, of my first words was Abba, which was my way of saying Thunderbirds, and then that eventually evolved into Thunderbirds. I had a couple <laughs> of like VHS tapes with episodes on, and I think my particular favourite was a compilation film called Thunderbirds The Rescue, which I didn't realize it at the time it was just two episodes of the tv show which were combined to make a feature tv movie i'll get back to those later on in the episode thunderbirds to the rescue and also my uncle he had the entire series on vhs and they had these amazing like custom hand-drawn covers relevant to the episodes on them and i'll regularly borrow those off him and also my dad um copied a couple of them to make our own videos. I wasn't just a big fan of Thunderbirds, I was also a big fan of other shows made by Jerry Anton, so like Captain's Garden Stingray, so I was some of the more obscure later programs like Space Breach and Lambda Castle, and I, I was even exposed to some of these like really early uh, programs like um, Supercar and Fiber XL5. Yeah. I have some, also some of the distinct memories I have is I remember getting a large Thunderbird 2 for Christmas when I was three, um, which sat my action figures in, which I thought was really cool. Nothing looks down. Lowering pods. 
Virgil, it seemed disaster. Thunderbird 4 to the rescue. Mission accomplished. Thunderbird 2 playset with electronic sound from Matchbox. My fourth birthday, I got a second hand of Tracy Island in the box from my granddad, which was amazing. Because I'd always seen it on the back of the box for the, the um, die-cast vehicles I had. So, oh, I'd love to have a Tracy Island. But at the time, I had the toys. You couldn't get it anymore. Mm. So the fact that I was able to get even a second hand one was amazing. Like The palm trees are broken, but I still loved it. And when I was approaching seven, I think the BBC started showing Thunderbirds on TV again. And then because of that, those more toy, new toys came out. And I mean, that being very exciting because it was just before my birthday. So I've got some new toys for my birthday. And also I've just got a Game Boy Color and they released a Thunderbirds game for it. So I was, obviously I had to get that. And then I think one of the big ones is um, when I was about four, I actually saw Jerry Anderson in person. I can either tell the story now or go into it later, depending on what you guys want to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, Growing up, I was a member of Phantom, which was the official Jerry Anderson fan club. And through that, um, I got an invitation exclusive to members to go to this art gallery in London, I forget the name of it, where Jerry was doing a talk to coincide with a sculpture of Scott Tracy, sitting at the controls of Thunderbirds 1. Mm. My dad took me up there, I think, it was in, I think it was in Brixton or somewhere, so he had to get the train and the bus there. Oh, and he God. took me to families and Donald's on the way there. And it wasn't just Jerry there, there was also Christine Glanville, who was one of the puppeteers. And she bought the actual Scott Crazy puppet with her, and she walks that round the room. She walks it right past me, which is amazing. Oh, one of those things I think. That's really cute. That is really cute. Yeah, it's, one, <laughs> it's, one, it's one of those things I think. I was a bit too young to really appreciate it because I, I was like way too shy to speak to Jerry. Yeah. I don't remember this part, but apparently, um, apparently my dad said he asked me, "Oh, do you like Thunderbirds?" But I was too shy to say anything. Oh, that's really sweet. So, the how I discovered Thunderbirds is a weird one because I did discover it in primary school. Uh, I was probably like about eight or something like that, maybe seven. Um, and basically, it was discovered through a mate of mine um, who I actually am still friends with. But he, he was obsessed with Thunderbirds. He kept on, for some reason, when I was in primary school, he kept drawing Thunderbird one. Uh, so he drew this kind of like you know grey rocket with a red thing at the end of it. And I did the same thing. I didn't even watch the show. I just did it because he was doing it, basically. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm actually going to recreate one of those drawings and make it as deliberately horrible as possible because that's what they looked like. It was just like this big blob of colours. Um, <laughs> 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 so um, that was um, also probably the start of my artistic career. But um, uh, it was... Uh, I watched the movie when I was younger. And I'm going to be honest, I... No idea what was going on. So I watched the Thunderbirds Go movie. That was kind of like my own kind of raw experience with it and Captain Scarlet episodes as well. I remember watching the movie and kind of not paying attention at all to what was going on. And to be honest, as, to be honest, as, I, as I watched it as an adult, that movie, I still didn't know what the hell was going on in that movie. Uh, it was just too weird. But... Um, are, we about, are we talking about the Thunderbirds Are Go? Or are we talking about the 2004 remake? No, the Thunderbirds oh, we'll Are Go. We'll get into that one later. Yeah, no, 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 no. We'll get. We'll talk, uh, talk very briefly about it. But it was the puppet movie, the Thunderbirds Are Go, the original one. They came out in the okay. 60s, I want to say. Um, and that yeah, was, it was the 60s. It was yeah. around the time the show was in its heyday. Yeah, I, I watched it again as an adult. And I still had no clue what was going on, uh, to be honest. So I don't blame my young self for that. 
But uh, I did get back into it as an adult, as Rob mentioned it to me, and I did enjoy watching the TV episodes a lot more. My dad actually remembers it as well. I actually talked to him about it, and he said, like, oh, I remember... I was talking to him about, like, the episode where they are on a crash collision to the sun, uh, for instance, and I, I told my dad about it, and he's like, oh, I remember That's that one. Yeah, he was, he was just like, oh, my God, I remember that. That's... So it's, it's, yeah, it's been a good experience with Thunderbirds for me. But that's my story, I think, done. So, yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting because it's something that was our parents' generation, but mm. it, yeah. it was re-shown um, in, like, the 90s and 2000s, and it was still a success, and kids still were into it, as this podcast is proving, because um, I think yeah, we all kind of watched it as children and now grown, grown up talking about it. Yeah, yeah, no, my, yeah. my parents talked about because my mum was born, you know, in, in the early 60s, so she was placed perfectly in that period when, you know, all of her friends and everyone she knew, they all watched Thunderbirds as kids, because that was the big kids show of the time. Yeah. You know, especially in Britain, you know, like, as we'll discover, the um, it, they did originally make it for um, an American audience, but that fell flat, so so it, it just became a really big thing here. It skyrocketed um, in Japan, though, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. In Japan, at one point, they had a, a whole cafe themed on yeah. Thunderbirds. So my, looking back, it is kind of crazy. I wasn't like a huge Thunderbirds fan. Like I didn't have like, I don't think I ever got like a DVD box set or, well not DVD, but in those days like a video cassette or anything of Thunderbirds. But I was a big fan of it despite that because I still, you know, saw enough of it um, either through kind of cultural osmosis or through kind of individual episodes. One of my earliest memories is I definitely watched the first episode, Trapped in the Sky, I'm, I remember seeing that in like in nursery. So when I was about, oh God, you know, maybe up four years old, five years old, and it must have been on, you know, some video uh, cassette that the teachers put on. And I remember it being Trapped in the Sky because that was the one where the guy's holding onto the cone zip wire thing uh, and trying to get onto the other plane. And I, and I distinctly remember that. But yeah, no, I was the same as Rob. I had a Thunderbirds 2 model that you could like uh, take the big cargo thing out of and put Thunderbird 4 into. I also had a Tracy Island set where you could you could place all the different Thunderbirds in their different um, hiding spots. So you'd have a little thing where you'd remove the swimming pool and you'd put Thunderbird 1 underneath that. It was interesting, Rob, you talking about the kind of the resurgence of Thunderbirds because I think that was definitely what influenced my experience of Thunderbirds. You know, this was very much the era when Blue Peter was making the Tracy Island model on their show. So, and you know, it was very much the the older generation, obviously being nostalgic for Thunderbirds, were now introducing it to their kids, Aww. and um, we we were quite lucky that we got to kind of re-experience it. And for me, you know. When I was watching it, I didn't know it was made 40 years before. I just thought it was a new thing, or it was a thing that yeah. you was watch because it was it was a you know a, a fun show. I must have been a fan from about. Uh, yeah, four to like maybe seven or eight, and then you know I, I, I moved on to other stuff. But I, I, 
I did play with that Tracy Island set a lot as a kid. That was the thing. I played I played with the toys a lot more than I actually watched the show itself. I just had to, I just kind of had a vague understanding of the show beyond you know maybe just a couple episodes. I always really liked the mole. Mole is cool. I like the mole, and I I remember loving the mole when I was a kid. And I and I, yeah, I love I love Thunderbird too. Everyone loves Thunderbird too. I think Thunderbird two is like everyone's favorite, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's the best yeah, one. pretty much. Although, <laughs> grown up, Thunderbird 2 is still my favourite. I also really love Thunderbird's War just because I think it's so cool. It's like a little yellow submarine. I like it's just so cool. That's a yeah. point. Yeah. Did it proceed yellow submarine or was it? Oh, oh that's a good point. Or did actually. it come after? I think it came before. I think Yellow Submarine was 1967 and Thunderbirds yeah. was 1965. So Thunderbirds just see the Beatles. Know <laughs> yeah, and that's actually interesting because we have not actually spoken about um, explaining what the th- different Thunderbirds are. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> so it's not with Thunderbird One. Thunderbird One is a very fast rocket that's mm. uh, piloted by Scott Tracy, who's the eldest Tracy brother. Yeah. And the purpose of Thunderbird One is to get to the disaster zone quickly and like determine the situation, see what um, equipment needs to be run. And that equipment is normally transported by Thunderbird Two, which is piloted by Virgil Tracy. It's this also big the best, green. Best yes, he is. It's the, yeah. it's the big green <laughs> vehicle, and it has six pods that carry various different vehicles inside of it. It changes pods depending on what's needed for the mission. So I think most can only get used once, once, but there's a couple that get used multiple times. Like there's the mole and the firefly, and of course Thunderbirds 4 gets carried in it. Yeah. But before we get to Thunderbirds 4, there's Thunderbirds 3, which is a space rocket, which is used for the very, very occasional space races, and it's like three at most. And that's piloted by Alan Tracy, who's the youngest, although Scott Tracy also comes along to supervise. And in one case, Tintin um, comes along to operate a safety beam. Mm. And, uh, and of course there's yeah. yes, and of course there's Thunderbird 4, which is the mini sub, and that's mm. used for aquatic rescues. It's normally carried by Thunderbird 2, un- in, unless Thunderbird 2 is out of action when the um, idiot military boats shoot Thunderbird 2 down, meaning Thunderbird 4 has to travel all the way to New York by itself. Then there's the one that doesn't seem to be many people's favourites. It's my favourite. My favourite. Because oh, okay. it's, so, it's, a giant, it's a giant space flight station. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thunderbird 5 is the space station. What that does is it picks up the distress calls that people make when they call it for international rescue and then it radios back to Tracy Islands to tell them what the situation is and then they can send like, like Thunderbird 1 or whatever else they need. And here's where I get to tell you, Jerry Anderson did not like John. Oh. I, did, I don't know why. That's, yeah. That's why he's I, always... I'm agreed, I'm agreed with him here. <laughs> that's why he's always stays up in Thunderbird 5 because... Um, <laughs> But Jerry Anderson did not like the I think he didn't like the design of the puppy, didn't like the voice, so it's like I think oh, it was oh. as a director that it was like um John needs to stay up in Thunderbird 5. He's all he has to do is radio back to base and then we never see him again for the rest of the episode. So he just left and him around in space one, by himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah, you mean. Okay. <laughs> I, here's my theory slash fan fiction, right? I'm convinced that right. I'm I'm convinced that John was in some kind of horrific sex scandal. <laughs> what the fuck, you in? <laughs> <laughs> The Tracys have been trying to cover up for years. Stop, please. <laughs> 
they do swap. There is there is a natural. There's one episode where John actually does go on a rescue because he swaps with Alan sometimes. And it's funny that the one episode where Thunderbird Five is used a lot, Alan is the one on Thunderbird Five, and John's on Tracy Island and says like two lines at the start of the episode. <laughs> wow, that, that's like. Yeah, there we go. That's incredible that that Jerry uh, shares my my disdain for this character. <laughs> so why don't you like John? Ewan. Oh, because of because of the sex scandal. <laughs> it's no sex scandal. Stop putting that into the damn canon. <laughs> You're ruining it for me, Ewan. <laughs> My lord. I mean, come on, dude. Like, am I am I wrong? That the evidence is there. I, well, I, I don't I, know because like. He doesn't show up enough to really hate him enough, like, to be honest. There is background I'm not material. It's like a bad sex. Like, I'm not saying he committed a crime. I'm just saying that, there, like, I don't know, maybe he slept with, like, the Queen's, like, you know, cousin or something. This is a kid's you know, show, dude. One thing is the backstory for John is he's a. John is an, a um, kind of like an astronomer, so he has um, written books on space, like actual astronomy books, and he's published them. So I guess you could say he's up there because he likes the um, like to use the te- some of those has got the telescope that's never used. He likes to use that to do astronomy up there. Yeah, yeah, that's quite. That, that's the excuse the family gave. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so 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 Jesus speaking of the characters, considering they're puppets, they're very human. I think what makes them so human is the voice acting, which is all done really well. It's like done as if it was like live action acting. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is really. I mean, I wanted to talk about that. Just not just the the acting, but the. The, the, the way that the sets are designed and, you know, like when they, um, sometimes they'll have like a character going through some files and you'll see that it's like changed to like human hands instead of puppet hands. And it's just all these nice little touches to help you kind of get immersed in the world. Because, yeah, you think to yourself, oh, it's, you know, it's puppets. How realistic can they look? And they, they do a really great job of, of kind of capturing like this kind of cool animation that they do. It's very well done. Which is um, funny because Jerry Anderson, as well as John Tracy, hated puppets. Like, what? He got saddled with working with puppets. In the 50s, he just started this production company, and then this author called Roberta Lee came to him and said, Oh, I've got this series called The Adventures of Twizzle, will you make it? And he was like, Well, because he needed the work. He said, yeah. Yes, we'll make it. And then he found that it was made with, being made with puppets, and he was, um, I think his wording was, I almost vomited on the floor. Oh, God. <laughs> Jeez. Right. But then I think he made another series for Roberta Lee called Torture Your Battery Boy, which is pure 1950s nightmare fuel if you look up pictures of it. Wait, what's it called? Sorry, let me look it up now. What is it called? Torchy the Battery Boy. Torchy the Battery Boy. So I know Joey 90, let's have a look. Uh, Torchy the Battery Boy. Oh my god, what the hell? He made this? <laughs> He looks like um, Billy from the bloody um, Saw films. He, look, he looks like he's going to torch your house. <laughs> exactly, yeah. This is a kid's torch show. I'm Pongo, the pirate. I love to pinch and spank. After that, I think he broke away from Percy, and what he did was he thought, if I can make really, really good puppet series, I won't be as embarrassed about making them. Percy did fourth ever thought it was like a puppet western. Which yeah. is kind of it's kind of like um, the Woody's Roundup bit from Toy Story Two. 
Okay. And then he did Supercop, which is the first science fiction one, which is followed by Bubble XL5, and then Stingray, which is the first one in colour. We are about to launch Stingray. And then he did Thunderbirds after that, and Thunderbirds was the one that was like biggest that they ever got. Yeah. Yeah. Returning to the the voice acting, Rob, I, I agree with you that they do a really great job of mm. like when you think of like Lady Penelope and Parker, their voices, oh. like probably uh, well that that's in Jeff Tracy doing the five four three two one. Like those are like arguably more iconic than the, than the the vessels and you know the, than the actual rockets yeah like just you, you say like at the very beginning of the thing the first thing you said was yes my lady like that's what people remember of thunderbirds is the countdown and uh parker we're going you know we'll need to take out this this car or something you know yeah. and um and yeah and and parker of course himself you know they, they do a wonderful job of bringing these characters to life. Yeah, I think one great example of the voice acting I want to highlight is in one episode, Thunderbird 2 gets shot down by a US Navy ship and the voice acting really conveys the situation because we get Scott trying to help his brother get back to base safely and then Virgil trying to reassure himself and then we get to see the other characters back on base. They're all concerned about um, what to do if Thunderbird 2 is even able to make it back to base. Easy does it. Easy. I was going to ask you who our favourite characters were. Can I? Mine's Virgil. Easily. Virgil? Virgil. Yeah, Virgil for me. Yeah. As a kid, I liked Virgil there simply because he flew Thunderbird 2, which is my favourite. Mm. As an adult, that's still a factor, but there's a few additional reasons. Um, mainly, he's a musician and a painter, so he seems like really well-rounded. Yeah. It seems very kind of like mellow and chilled out. So. Yeah, he's a musician myself. He did a Picasso of Alan at one point, didn't he? <laughs> Also, my my favourite thing is that he actually sounds like an American because he actually is voiced by an American, unlike everyone else. Um, so his voice his voice always sounds the most kind of naturalistic to me when I listen to it, and I'm like, yeah, yeah although that's a old American Scott, guy, whereas everyone else. Although is Scott was voiced by Canadian, I think Scott and Adam okay. were like, yeah, Canadians, I think. That explains why they sound the most natural. My um, because that Alan Tracy is is his accent is bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, my favourite character is easily Parker. You said it was Brains earlier. It's a hard one, but I think Parker does take priority over Brains. I like Brains because I re I think I relate most to Brains because he's a nerd and he's just like making robots and shit going like, you know, he's cool. Uh, but Parker is what I want to be. Parker, they're going to take my jewels. That would seem to be the intention, Belady. Parker, we must stop them before it's too late. I'm afraid we might already be too late. They've probably got a car standing by. Well, it appears we have no choice in the matter. I was just thinking the same thing, Belady. All right. I'll be happy to jiffy with the hardware. Right. Go to it, Parker. 
he's my role model because he's just like literally got like <laughs> like come on like he's basically going like yes my lady you know he's got a car with guns pouring out of it it's like like he would just he could literally single handedly take on every single Thunderbird I believe without a problem because he's oh, just yeah. got like that literally you know his backstory yes I read it on he's Wikipedia an he's an ex yeah, like criminal safe cracker yeah so he, he turned away from his life of crime for Lady Penelope He's loyal. He's, he's he's actually a nice go 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 go, go, go that guy because he's like loyal. Um, he's a gentleman, but he's also got a gun pouring out of his car. There's that scene. I think it's in the perils of. <laughs> I think it's basically the fact that he's got guns in his car. To be honest, in the perils of Penelope, there's the episode where basically someone spikes her drink. Uh, they're going to poison her, and then all of a sudden he just peers out. Now you see the gun just shoot out of his car. Just shoot the drink out of her hand. And go like. Sorry, my lady. That sword's like to drink. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, that's the sort of guy I want to be. <laughs> the, um, yeah, Peril of Penelope was probably one of my favourite episodes because even though there wasn't actually that much kind of like Thunderbird itself action, I just loved the attention to detail to because it was a very Penelope and Parker mm. um, specific episode, and so they did a really good job of designing all the interiors. At one point, a character opens this big old library book, and it's like really detailed. And I was like, "Wow, that's that's really nice to see." Yes, yeah. that's, I... that's probably a good transition to the, the special effects because the effects yeah. used in the show were very pioneering and still hold up like fifty-six odd years later. Explosions and uh, everything. Yes, <laughs> and while while everything's filmed using miniatures, they use like special lenses to film it so every, so you don't think it's a miniature everything just looks big two people on Thailand who were on the special effects scene first is Derek Meddings he got his start working on Jerry shows and he ended up doing effects for not just the James Bond movies but he did the Chris Reeve Superman movies as well at least the first one or two and then there's also Brian Johnson who ties into our last episode because after Thunderbirds he went on to do special effects for Alien Aliens and The Empire Strikes Back you're blimey wow that's really cool. That's a good catalog of like work right there. <laughs> I was really impressed there was with the underwater scenes. Um, yeah. in the episode uh, Desperate Intruder and they're swimming around underwater and it's when they're scuba diving. I was really impressed by that because it, you know, it was these little puppets, but they were definitely in the water and they were like pulling them around. I don't know how they did it. I think like maybe they attached them to um, I'm gonna tell you this. What they did I think they started this with Stingray because Stingray was about a submarine, so yeah. there's obviously a lot of underwater stuff. So what they did was they built the set and built a giant fish tank in front of it. So they filmed through the fish tank to make, ah. make it look like everything was underwater. Right. Oh wow. I I was looking at it and I was going, that's that's a fish tank. Yeah. It's in a fish tank. But then yeah. but then I was thinking, but like, is are they in the water? Because I was like, but then. So that's really clever. Yeah, no, they, they, they actually managed to hoodwink me there. So well done to them. Mm. <laughs> One of the thing, mm. things I like about the show is there's a big sense of urgency with all the disasters. Like, they really feel really big and somewhat, like, hopeless. So it keeps you on the edge of your seat because there's oh, a little yeah. sense of urgency. It's basically all like, we only have an instant time to save these people. And if we don't do what we need to do, they're going to die. Uh, mm. So everything seems really grim to like the last minute. Yeah, no, there's definitely some episodes where it is quite like with Perils of Penelope. Like that's probably the the most tense built based one. But in a kind oh. of like old, it's like an old Hollywood kind of way where like yeah. Lady Penelope's been tied up and she's like put in front of a train that's like incoming. You know, it's like the classic. Yeah. We've got a rescue. You know, da, da, da. it's very Hanna Barbera, isn't it? Yeah. 
Some of the episodes, like as you say, they are quite Hollywood-esque, kind of typical cartoonish sort of like perils, as it were. But then some of them get a bit too close to reality, almost. It's kind of like a bit weird. Like I think it was the "Moving Your Dead" episode. That sounds kind of disturbing, almost. Like the situation itself, it's almost like a bloody thriller at that point. Uh, the whole sort of premise is that basically one of the main characters has been kidnapped with someone that he cares about and been placed in front of a bomb on a bridge. It's like, what? <laughs> they really took the step. Yeah, and they can't move. They can't move. They're yeah, so in the scorching heat as well and they're about to pass out. It's just like, what? That's mad. <laughs> yeah, so That's basically crazy. the thing is they've got this, this device that will activate a bomb if it detects motion. So this character who already joined International Rescue, he was a race car driver, so he's used to like speed. So this character used to moving fast has to suddenly stand still. It's... Yeah, no, that is like it's like it's like stepping on a landmine, and it has yeah. enough to like mm. jump off it basically, and that's yeah. the only way to like escape. Because any any motion you do that's not fast enough, it, it'll blow up. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Another one that also yeah, got no, me you... was terror in New York City as well, because that felt like almost like mm. a real life situation that someone could be trapped in, like like a, a, a sort of collateral kind of disaster to a building being trapped under like kind of debris, as it were. That's something that happens to people and stuff yeah. like that. So I'm just like, oh, jeez, this is something, you know, that's, this is a real-life situation. This isn't just, like, film. This is, like, watching a, a, like a reenactment of something horrible happening. But the good guys do save the day in the end, and I love the ending of that episode as well. I love the solution to that, where um, Thunderbird 4 had to, like, navigate through, uh, like, a fault line almost, um, where, you know, like, a new kind of... Uh, water pathway had been kind of made and it had to like get through this this like you know huge cave system that had that had like you know recently developed it was really you know it was brilliant and then yeah and like very great tense what also made that more tense was thunderbird 2 was out of action that episode because earlier in the episode it had been shot down and returned to base by the navy ship so they were at mm. home watching the empire state building collapse on tv and they're like oh shit what can we do thunderbird 4 is not gonna be able to get there in time on its own yeah so what they do is they talk <laughs> with the same ship that shot them down to give them a lift thunderbird 4 from rescue control gordon do you hear me loud and clear scott no sign of these fellas as yet gordon now listen you've got to locate them within the next two minutes there's another building up here that's going to collapse and the impact could cave in the whole area where those guys are swimming. Let's talk about the hood. Because I think we have things yes. to say about the hood. What the hell <laughs> is the first thing I will say? Why? What? I mean, not why. I mean, I, I'm a, I like these there, but I'm also kind of like, what? <laughs> I'm going to be real here. All right. Uh, this boy is racist. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, that's a good point. It's, but not just the hood also, but it's also... Um, not Tintin. Tintin's actually quite a good picture. Uh, Karan, Karano? Am I saying his name right? Karano? Yeah, Karano. Yeah. He is just both him and the hood. Very racist. I agree. What the and hell? There's, <laughs> there's also the episode The Uninvited, which is, weirdly enough, one of my favourite Oh my episodes. god. But there is that the. Episode. But there is the. Um, 
what's it called? The um, the, the pyramids, but these um, Arab, Arabs yeah. who fly the fighter planes and live in the pyramids. They're like this ancient society. It's... Uh, to be fair, to be fair, like I, I mean, he's Malaysian apparently. So I looked this up. They're, they're both yeah. characters of Malaysian. I did. I've actually been to Malaysia, and I've actually been to the temples and stuff like that. There are people that are committed to like religions and stuff like that. That like you know take worship this sort of thing and they take it very seriously but they don't have psychic powers and they're not like going around like they're trying to they're obsessed with making a buck from uh, just speaking like a he complete like, super villain do you yeah, know what I mean he has, he has oriental mystic powers basically I don't even think he does it's what <laughs> But at the same time, Iron Man's main villain was the Mandarin, who's like this Asian guy with magic alien rings. Oh yeah, the the Mandarin is literally the Fu Manchu, like just a, a complete stereotype. The, the I guess the only way that the hood avoids being a full Fu Manchu is that he doesn't have like the beard and whiskers that they're normally given. Mainly because he's based off of um, Yul Brynner from uh, The King and I. Can Yul Brynner sue Thunderbirds for stealing his face? Because <laughs> I, I feel like um, he should have done that. A lot of the puppets were based on real actors. Like, uh, Gott was inspired by Sean Connery, who was, of course, James Bond at the time. That was really big. And apparently John was inspired by Charlton Heston. I mean, okay. I don't know. Like, with regards to the hood, though, like, what... Let's talk about his powers, because that's a weird outlier in the entirety of Thunderbirds, along with, like, the weird rock snakes that appear in the movie as well. Like, there's this just random guy that has magic just appear out of nowhere and, ha and just has it in for the international rescue team. It's just, like, it's so kind of tonally mismatched, but at the same time, it makes complete sense. And it's just like, why? I don't know, like... I remember that scene in the first episode where he uses his powers. Yeah. Kind of scaring me. Was like, and he's got this like really menacing face, his eyes oh, yeah. glowing, and yeah. uh, it's like this really scary music. So I think when I was watching, it was about two. I think I don't think it was like me screaming, running out of the room, but I think it was a bit unsettling, but not enough to make me stop he watching. He's very creepy. Yeah, he is. Kirano, as from this moment you are in my power. Now, when does international rescue start operating? Speak, Kirano. Uh What's wrong, Kirano? What is wrong? Why don't you speak? No, no. When will international rescue start operating? They are ready. International rescue is ready to start operating. The thing that bothers me, okay, so Carano is his half-brother, who is somehow working on Tracy Island, which is a weird detail anyway, that they never seem to figure out that Carano has a half-brother who's messing with him half the time. But also, he, so he's able to mind control Carano, and at one point, so the Hood wants to take photos of the Thunderbirds, like the interior, so he can sell the plans off to whoever wants to, you know, whatever highest bidder. But um, the Thunderbirds have this thing called the photo alarm or something like that, um, where they basically they pick up any time anyone tries to take photos of the planes. Oh, yeah. And, and then they'll, they'll go over and say to them, hey, you know, no, no pictures. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, with the hood, at one point with Carano, he gets Carano, he like mind controls him to sabotage the, um, the 
the picture machine, the picture alarm, so that he actually is able the to. Automatic camera detector. Automatic camera detector. That's it. And so he actually is able to to um, take photos and 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 get them, you know, while and and have have them not realize that they're having photos taken. But the thing is, what I kept thinking was, Hood, Bubby, Baby. You, you can control a guy who's on Tracy Island. Why not just get him to sabotage the actual rocket and cause it to blow up and blow up all of Tracy Island? Well, it's the same thing. It just with, seems like... There's a lot of things going on. It's <laughs> like, why would you bury brains in the sand and dehydrate him when you can just mind read him? Do you know what I mean? It's like, what? Or just kill him. <laughs> well, no, no, because he needs, he needs not... information from him. That's the, that's the premise of the episode. Okay. Um, that's the treasure when they're chanting for treasure and yeah. he's like tell me where you found the treasure and I'll let you out and have some water Mace <laughs> is like no I need water and it just passes out it's just like it's, it's not a great interrogation mate. come on <laughs> no it, it, so I, I've got to wonder what what yeah what's going on Hood why why are you so bad at he this is... the, the, oh. the Wikipedia tells me you're like the master criminal of the Thunderbirds world, and if that's the case, then, then, then crim- criminality in, in the Thunderbirds world has gone downhill. They need Parker back. One thing we've not discussed yet is the mu- music, and music is yeah. um, another thing that makes the show good, is Barry Gray's music, he perfectly matches the time for what's happening on screen, and there's like a good range variety of moods and dynamics, such as like the dramatic music for the various rescues, there's triumphant music for the Thunderbirds launching when they've saved someone, and then there's like themes for both Tracy Island and Lady Penelope. It's really, it's really bombastic music. Like I, it, it's so memorable. I also, it, think, yeah, oh. there's an atmosphere to it as well. Like you know, the island when the like little kind of gentle music plays and you see the island inside. It's quite nice and fantastical mm. almost. It's like I don't know. I like it. <laughs> the, the hoods, the hoods theme, like I said, is so oriental and ridiculous. But I actually do really like it. Like it's got a good, you know, kind of villainous yeah. quality to it. But it's it's right up to the point when they like use a gong, and I'm like, okay, no, we've we've gone too far. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, then he starts looking at this like weird like sphinx statue or whatever. It's like what? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things is while this is decades and decades before TV shows are having like story arcs continuing from episodes there is subtle continuity in Thunderbirds like most most of this is like minor references to previous episodes but there's two pairs of episodes that are linked together so obviously there's Trapped in the Sky which is the first episode which involves Fire Flash having a bomb on it and then there's a sequel to that episode called Operation Crash Dive which is probably my favourite episode where the Fire Flash is again in peril and there's callbacks to the first episode like the captain of Fire Flash from the first episode he references the episode at the end when Scott flies the plane with me he's like oh yeah Tracy you saved my life so I owe you this this one Mm. then there's also the Peril Penelope that starts with the launching of a rocket called the Sun Probe and the episode's plot resolved around the kidnapping of the scientists who helped to develop the rocket revolutionary rocket fuel which used water and then we get the episode Sun Probe which features the rocket that we saw in Perils of Penelope on collision course with the sun ah very good is the Sun Probe episode the one where they're going towards the sun like they're heading towards the sun just to remind me yes yeah because yeah. that has yes. the best quote I've probably heard in a long time. There's this moment where just like they save the day, they get the, the astronauts out of danger and all that, and they're just like, 
Oh, it's not working. Why is it not working? Helen, we're still on the collision course for the sun! And he just passes out. And <laughs> it's like, oh my god. It's one of my favourite episodes, that one. Because there's a lot of great tension. And like you care about not just the three men on the rocket who are hurting towards their doom, but then the main characters themselves are put in jeopardy. And of course, you're already attached to them because you've been watching them for several weeks. Mm. Okay, the solar ship's out of danger. Let's head for home. Just in time, I guess. I couldn't have stood much more of this heat. Fire retros. Well, fire retros, Alan. It's getting unbearable. I have. But they're not working. Alan, we're still on a collision course with the sun. One of my uh, favorite lines. Again, I, I keep bringing back uh, Peril of Penelope, but I really liked that one. And I think my favorite moment is when uh, Penelope's like with this other guy, like I can't remember what he, I think he was an engineer or something like that, that she's like protecting basically. And, and they get trapped in a basement. They get locked in and then someone starts pumping gas into it. And the guy just like the British bloke she's with just runs up to the door and he's like, let us out, let us out, we're British. <laughs> oh yeah. I say open this door at once, we're British. Yeah, there's another episode I really like called 30 Minutes Afternoon, which is more of an espionage based adventure because at the time, because the James Bond films are really big. Yeah. And so they tapped into that. So it's a story, in this one, we've got the, this terrorist gang who attached bracelets to people to get them to do horrible things because they've got to get the keys to the bracelet because the bracelets are actually bombs. And also got this really cool laser cutting vehicle which they used to cut down the doors. And it also has this great quote, which has kind of become a meme in um, a Thunderbirds group I'm in, which is Jeff Frazier saying, it really is a big one this time, boys. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, I, I really enjoyed 30 Minutes Afternoon. I, like the whole opening where, you know, like the guy picks up like a hitchhiker and then of course the hitchhiker turns out to be a dodgy character who's, who decides to put a bracelet on him and then he's got a race against time to get to this, to get to his office so yeah. he can get the um, key. What's great about the scene, no, uh, uh, scene at the start is you see this guy talking saying, oh yes, my third wedding anniversary, We're, um, as soon as the baby's has dropped off my kid, going to go out for dinner. So you're kind of establishing that this guy's got something to lose if he does not yeah, do exactly. what he has to do. Yeah, yeah. No, it was brilliant. You married too? Yep, sure am. In fact, today is our third wedding anniversary. Is that so? Well, well. That term explains the little flower display in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the babysitter drops around, I'm taking my wife out to a celebration dinner. Say, why didn't you phone for the doctor? Oh, okay, just here. This will be fine. The doc lives uh, just behind those trees. Thank you, sir, very much. But before I let you go, there's just something I got for you. Hey, what's this? <laughs> Look, just because I gave you a lift, there's no need to... Hey, what is this? Now listen to me, Prescott. How did you know my name? Never mind about that. Now you listen to what I'm gonna say and listen carefully because I don't have time to repeat. You work at the Hudson Building, room 1972, right? Right. Okay, if you go and look in the top drawer of the cabinet there, you'll find a key to get you out of that bracelet. You're wasting time, Prescott. It's made of solid hydrochromatized steel, and nothing's gonna break it under 20,000 degrees of heat. The box on it contains an explosive charge that is set to go off soon. Are we in business? All right. What do you want me to do? Simple. All you gotta do is go to your room in the Hudson Building. 
When you find the key, you take the bracelet off and leave it in the same drawer. What happens then? The whole place goes up. Pow. You must be crazy. Okay. I ain't got time to argue. You got 21 minutes before that bomb goes up. If you don't get that bracelet off your wrist soon, your wife is going to be a widow on a third wedding anniversary. But, no, what, what I found funny was that when he got to the building, the first thing he did was get in an elevator, and, like, he was having to wait for it to come down and come back up, and I was like, dude, this is, like, the one time when stairs probably would have been the better bet. Especially because he had to speed back to the building. The police were yeah. after him for speeding, so... Yeah, yeah, so I was like, dude, don't, don't wait for the lift. Like, <laughs> just run. <laughs> And then, like, okay. and then on the way, and then he takes the lift back down, and I was like, dude, that building's gonna blow up, and you're gonna be in a lift when a building blows up. That's like the worst place to be in, which is literally what happens, because then the the elevator collapses, and then the international rescue have to come in. Another reason I like the episode is because it's got two rescues, because it's got the rescue at the side, they're rescuing the guy in the building, and then at the very end, they're rescuing the secret agent who's, who was infiltrating the gang to um, arrest them. He's trapped in this plutonium vault that's about to blow up. It really is a big one this time boys can we talk about the uninvited quickly because that's a very strange episode and i still yeah. don't quite understand i mean i mean i'm intrigued there's a lot of mystery to like a lot of mystery uh, uh, there's there's characters called zombites yeah. apparently they're like so they go to it's interesting so they go to a pyramid it's scott tracy uh he ends up trapped in there with the other explorers yeah. that find the Fountain of Youth. And there's a whole kind of community of people in this pyramid that are kind of technologically advanced. They've got guns. So they, got, they shoot a bloody gun out of a pyramid at one point. It's like, what? Um, and they're like... They've got planes as well. Yeah, they're these underground, ancient kind of uh, technologically advanced peoples that are in this pyramid. And we yeah. don't know what they're up to, what they want, or who they are. We don't find out in the episode, really, but they sort of show up, and we're just like, oh my god, who are these guys? And then it just ends. It's like, what? It ends with the Thunderbirds murdering them all. Yes, well, <laughs> it, or, or did they? Because they it, might be in other periods. It's one of my favourites, just because it's just quite action-packed, and it's and mm. got Scott having his other like, little adventure, which is cool, because all the time he's got the other brothers with him, but this time he's by himself. Yeah. You actually had a comic strip adaptation of this episode, which was pretty much an abridged version of this episode sorry, but it also had a couple of extra scenes in it so I had scenes of the Zombites like talking to each other and it turns out they're in a war with this organisation called Nebab I think that's how you pronounce it oh. and apparently they want to get the Thunderbirds to help them with their war in Nebab oh. the, the comic in the 90s also had a sequel to this episode called Return of the Zombites I've not read it but apparently it's the Zombites teaming up with the Hoods what? okay Ah. So the two most weird parts of Thunderbirds do unite at some point. <laughs> but I mean, the Hood's always hanging out with people. He's a very sociable guy. We're too rich to be trapped. Uh, hi there. International Rescue at your service. You can't fool me. You've come to steal our treasure. Now hold on. You called us for help, and that's why I'm here. What did you shoot at him for? He's come to rescue us. No, he only wants the treasure. You're crazy. Don't be a fool. Throw down your gun. You need help. You're the one who needs help. You're gonna die. You've been through a tough time, Woozy. Come on. I'll get you to a hospital. Then you'll be able to get my treasure, won't you? Okay, 
if that's the way you want it, I'll just have to blast you out. What about um, Attack of the Alligators? What do you think of that one? Oh my god, Attack of the Giants Alligators was a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, I, think it was my, I, think, I think that's my favourite episode, aside from Peril of Penelope, which is my favourite episode, mainly just because I've kept talking about it, but... Um, Attack of the Giants Alligators is both really fun and kind of hysterical. Uh, <laughs> mainly because of the little baby crocodiles. Yeah, they used real alligators for the episode. And funny behind the scenes story is, even though she was in the episode, they used the Lady Penelope puppet for a shoot with the alligators. And then one of the alligators grabbed onto her leg and then ended up swallowing her leg. What? Oh no! <laughs> oh my lord. Yeah. Wait, how did they digest that? I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. They didn't. Oh no. Yeah, my, I think that was the thing. I was just distracted by how adorable these these little baby alligators were. Oh. <laughs> they were like adding these like scary sound effects to them, and I was like, alligators don't make that noise. What? <laughs> but it was it was really fun. Basically, these alligators. Um, get mutated by this thing that goes into the, the swamp water supply and so they get really big and they start attacking this house and it was oh my god it was it was straight out of like uh, um, any kind of 1950s monster movie where you know yeah. like, like ants that get really big or whatever it was great Virgil alligator where <laughs> What's happened to the pile? I hate to think. Firing missile! My favourite episode, I kind of mentioned it, is Operation Crash Drive, which is a sequel to the first. I like it because it's got mm. a couple of really cool rescues. You get to see Thunderbirds 4. You, um, I think particularly like the rescue at the end where I think the, it's not really a rescue. It's basically trying to work out why this plane keeps crashing. So they um, get Scott to fly the fire flash. Now Thunderbird 2 flying alongside and Gordon goes inside to um, have a look and um, he has a shootout with the, some kind of like saboteur terrorist yeah. and then he um, has like a really quickly like fix the uh, elevation unit which has had its wires cut so he basically just holds the wires together all the way back to the airport. Alright International Rescue, I'm ready for you, come on out. Look, I don't know what your game is but there's some pretty vital pieces of equipment around here that we don't want to smash if we can help it. Who are you kidding? This aircraft is finished and you know it. In just a couple of minutes more, it's going to make a mighty big splash in the ocean and then disappear like all the others. I know we've all been knocking the hood for being, frankly, pretty useless, but in the episode Cry Wolf, which I mainly watched just because I wanted to see some annoying kids get killed, um, and that's what happened. <laughs> that's what you like what, to do, isn't it? <laughs> What no? What happened? What happens is that some kids use their radio and they're pretending to be like Thunderbirds, and so they actually they oh. accidentally um, call the Thunderbirds in because the Thunderbirds think that it's a real um, rescue mission needed. Oh, and then, of course, you know that's why the episode's called Cry Wolf because then what actually happens is that the hood turns up because their their dad like works for some like important facility. And uh, and so when the when the boys are actually trying to contact the Thunderbirds the second time, the, the Thunderbirds tell them to like you know piss off, kids. We're we're busy. Uh, <laughs> we we don't have time to play yeah. any anymore. What Scott does is when he flies to the rescue and sees that this kid hasn't really broken his leg and he's fine. It's these kids playing Thunderbirds. What he decides hmm. to do is I'm going to take them back to base, show them all our top secret vehicles. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's stupid, man. <laughs> 
these kids get a tour of the island. Although, I think they, they try and explain it away, but when they get close to the base, Scott's like, okay, put your blindfolds on so you don't know where in the world we are. There must be, like, no... There's no internet in front of us. There must not be. Because, like, how the hell can they keep secret when there's, like, a, a space station in the sky, a big island drifting in the, the Atlantic, spaceships... Like, no, no, spaceships. Yeah, it's like little ships flying around the Earth. Like... Surely Google Maps would have picked them up at this point. <laughs> there was an episode, I think the last episode of series one, because there's a second series which is only six episodes. A lot of episodes of the first series is a flashback episode which involves this kid, he sneaks aboard Thunderbird 2 during a rescue and they get back to base and find him. So basically the whole episode is all of them telling about previous international rescue adventures. And how they get around it is they wait for him to fall asleep, flying back to his home in Thunderbird 2, and so he wakes up and thinks it's all a dream. My point is, is that I thought the hood was kind of lame, but then he sends a couple of kids to go into a mine, or like one of them's hiding in a mine, and he's and he says, oh, you should go find your friend. And so the kid runs in there, and then he blows up the cave. And I was like, you know what, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So briefly go on to Thunderbirds I'll go? Yeah, all right, go on then. Now, on the big screen, in Technicolor, and Technoscope, Thunderbirds are gold. Can I briefly say, I read a book recently called Gravity's Rainbow uh, by Thomas Pinchot. I read the whole thing, it's like an acid trip basically. And I got similarish vibes from this movie. Like literally, I just felt like it was, mm -hmm. a, it was a long kind of unusual, disconnected, slightly disturbing, slightly thought-provoking. I, 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 I didn't know what was going on basically. I, I, I'll let Rob talk about this actually, I want to hear what you say. I feel it doesn't really work as a film, it feels just like an overlong episode of a TV series. What I feel about Thunderbirds, it's basically four sequences are tenuously linked together and don't particularly flow especially well together, so no. we start the episode where the Thunderbirds are observing the launching of Zero X because it's been sabotaged in the past, and then they stop the hood from sabotaging it, and Lady Penelope basically shoots down his helicopter. Then we get this weird dream sequence with Alan with Cliff Richard Jr. Then we get this sequence on Mars where yeah. um, they find where the crew of Zero X find these weird rock snakes that attack them and then when Zero X is returning to Earth they have a fault and the Thunderbirds have to come and save them. None of it has any links to each other other than Zero X is vaguely involved in three out of four of them. Yeah. I actually messaged the, the group chat to basically ask Rob, could you summarise what's going on for me? Because I'm a bit lost. Like, <laughs> just a bit... Like, because I, I was watching a film and I think the scenes that aren't surreal and they're actually kind of realistic and grounded in reality are so kind of drawn out. There's a lot of dialogue. Nothing really happens that I ended up kind of just phasing out and doing something else in the background. And then when the yeah. dream sequences did occur, I, it did sort of capture my attention. I was a bit like, oh, okay, this is a bit weird. I want to see why this car's floating in bloody space and Parker's wearing a pink jacket. What's going on there? But then I also was so confused by what was going on there that I literally just the whole film made probably zero sense to me by the end of it. I was just like, what? So... <laughs> The, yeah. the problem with the problem with the dream sequence, right, is that um, it really shows the disconnect that Jerry Anderson, who at that point was either in his late thirties or his early forties, his disconnect from youth culture 
to the point that he actually thinks that Cliff Richard was ever cool when he has never been cool. Um, even in the 60s, Cliff Richard was never cool. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we present the biggest star in the universe, none other than Cliff Richard Jr. <laughs> So it's just kind of hysterical when you've got like this character who's supposed to be like representative of like all the you know the, the cool 60s yeah. and it's just like it just doesn't land at all. <laughs> Why is it that Alan Tracy just like ignores Tintin throughout the entire film? She's just like let's let's go have a coffee together and all that. It's like no, I'm going to bed. And he starts dreaming about Penelope. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> all the guys are on Tracy Island are secretly into Lady Penelope. Apparently, that's what, that's what's happening. Yeah. yeah. And he goes on a little date with her at the end with a little tag. Oh wait, can we just point out yeah. the fact that they all have beards at the end as well? Yes, they're all in disguise. Even though they go up to Everest commissions, showing their face and everything, telling people their names, and then saying, oh yeah, don't talk, don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, the whole secrecy thing just makes no sense, that's all. No. I burst into laughter when I saw Gordon Tracy with like a, a beard, like a big beard. I was just like, what? <laughs> this is so <laughs> dumb and brilliant at the same time. Like, I don't regret watching it, but I also was just a bit like, I don't know if that was great. One thing to be said, because I didn't particularly cared for Thunderbirds are go but I can understand the impact it had because it's important to remember that in the 60s most people in Britain did not have color television yeah so one of the only ways to see Thunderbirds as we see them today like in full color and you know in in, in, in the film they have beautiful widescreen as well you could tell they were really proud of the fact that they could finally show things in technicolor yeah. Um, and every, you know the colours of all the all, of all the ships are really vibrant, and it's really nice to see them like that. <laughs> they literally have an so explosion. They have an explosion right behind Technicolor when they show it off, like it's pr provided by Technicolor and just explosion. <laughs> Thunderbirds I did not do well at the box office because I think at the time um, people were like, oh, Thunderbirds, I can watch that on TV, so... Yeah. They should have just done something a bit different. Yeah. I think um, my, problem with, my problem with Thunderbirds are go, I feel I felt like it was a bit of a downgrade from the best episodes of the series because I really enjoyed how tight some of the scripts had gotten. Yeah. With Thunderbirds are go, they, they draw stuff out so long because they're obviously padding out the feature length time. And it's just, it's so obvious that it, it got kind of like frustrating because I was like, no, like tell a proper story, like, you know, like um, Sun Probe or, or Man from MI5, like, come on, let, let's tell a really concise story. And it, the, the film just doesn't have that, I don't think. Yeah, yeah that's why I, re I went rewatching it. I really didn't think much of Thunderbird 6. I just thought it was kind of boring until the last half hour. Other than the See, weird laughing puppets the... about an airship. An airship? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm I'm 
complete disagreement on that. Oh. <laughs> Controversy, I know. I really enjoyed the first three quarters of Thunderbird 6, and then I was really kind of disappointed by the final half or the, or the final quarter. I haven't um, seen it. <laughs> I'd recommend it, James, but it is a strange film because I feel like That's it's right. very slow-paced. Yeah. But it's not disjointed in the way that Thunderbirds are go is, where like there actually is a solid plot. Oh good. Um for the, for the first three quarters. I think the problem was the resolution which just completely falls flat. It doesn't measure up so, to the expectations it builds up. The plot of the film is Jeff Tracy wants brains to build a Thunderbird six. So the whole movie, Brains is building these models of a perspective Thunderbird six and Jeff's like, No, that's not what I had in mind. And then at the end they use a fire plane for like the a big rescue, and at the end, Brains is like, Lord Thunderbird 6 is basically just repainted this fucking biplane and to make it Thunderbird 6, and it's just... I, I don't know. I, that wasn't the problem for me. I feel like the... Uh, you know, like, would... fine, that was cute. Because at the end, the biplane rescues them. So I was like, all right, that's fine. My problem was the bad guys in it had this whole big plan. They were going to, I don't know, capture the Thunderbirds or whatever. And they, they even had the hood involved. You know, there was all this stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is amazing. And then, like, they've got this whole ambush planned. And then the final quarter of the film, the Thunderbirds figure out that there's an ambush and then they just don't get ambushed and then nothing happens. They don't get ambushed because they just go to the base where the ambush was planned and they just blow it up. Like, yeah, it's, that's and, the thing, just... And the just, hood does nothing. It's so mm. disappointing. It's like, it was fun. I, enjoy, I enjoyed Six. I enjoyed oh. it a lot more than, than Thunderbirds are Go. I'll check it out. I'll give it a watch. Yeah. I saw there was a lot of criticism of it and I just didn't agree with it at all. I didn't agree with the criticism. Thunderbirds are back on the cinema screen in a brand new space age adventure in Technicolor and Technoscope, revealing to the world for the first time their latest, most closely guarded top secret. So the story of why Thunderbirds ended up getting cancelled is basically Lou Grades was the guy who owns Jerry's company. He, he tried to pit the three biggest networks in America against each other in a bidding war for the broadcasting rights for Thunderbirds. And then one network backed out, so the other two just lost interest as well. And because Lou felt it was too expensive to produce without an American um, network, Lou just cancelled it and asked Jerry to come up with something new. Kind of sad, but at the same time, it did give us Captain Scarlet, which I love almost as much as I do Thunderbirds. Captain Scarlet, he's the one who knows the Mr. they did a good job of like all of the episodes that they did like I, you know there's there's a nice number of episodes you know like they it didn't it didn't go it didn't get stale well Thunderbirds didn't quite go away because as I said start, there's a compilation so in the 80s because Styles was so successful ITC's American branch created like these new TV movies like they took episodes of like the various around so, like shows like the take like some Captain Scarlet episodes and they spliced them together to make a movie with new opening closing credits and they did three Thunderbirds films using this format so there's Thunderbirds to the Rescue which is the one I watched as a kid and that was Trapped in the Sky and Operation Crash Dive combined together then there was Thunderbirds in Outer Space which was some probe in an episode called Ricochet and then the last one was called Countdown to Disaster which was Terror in New York City and Atlantic Inferno the existence of these films created this rights issue that meant that the episodes they used for the compilations couldn't be released on VHS as the original episodes it could only release as a compilation until the late 90s so it wasn't until the year 2000 that it could be able to see 
these episodes. And also in the 80s there was a Thunderbirds anime. The Japanese version was originally completely separate from Thunderbirds, although I think it was partially inspired. Then it was dubbed for Western audiences as Thunderbirds 2086. That sounds really fun actually. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that sounds great. <laughs> I need to check that out. Thunderbirds 2086. Thunderbirds, five of the finest cadets in the world, dedicated to the service of mankind wherever he may be in distress. And then of course in the 90s, the year 1991, BBC Two repeated Thunderbirds, and this was the first time Thunderbirds was a network, because before then, when it was on, depended on where you, you lived in the country, because ITV was broken up into regions that showed like different programmes. Yeah. Mm. No one expected how popular it was going to be, so that Christmas there were no toys available, aside from like model kits that were imported from Japan, but Thunderbirds mm. name was still big a year later. So then Matchbox released a set of toys and that Christmas they were the must-have toys, particularly the Tracy Island. Because it was imp so impossible to find, Blue Peter showed children how they could make their own using like paper mache and household junk. Oh, and it was yeah. so popular that BBC ended up with a massive printing bill because at the end of the programme they said, oh, if you want the instructions, write to us and we'll print them out for you and send them to you. <laughs> and because uh, they got so many letters, they got this big printing bill. So I think they had to go on and say, Sorry, we're not doing it anymore, but in the end, they did release that part where they made the Tracy Island on video. And that's, yeah. that's like iconic from Blue Peter. Here it is, the secret hideaway of that famous international rescue team. Now, if you can find Tracy Island in the shops, and it's not easy, it could cost you as much as £34.99p, but this one is created entirely from junk. And it'll cost you nothing but just a bit of hard work. You'll get a lot of fun out of it, though. And in true Blue Peter style, Oz, Thunderbird 3 comes out of a toilet roll, and Thunderbird 1 shoots out of a yogurt pot, and Thunderbird 2 comes out of a tissue box. And the mechanical trees here, well, those are just pipe cleaners. While it was successful in the UK, it wasn't met in America because there were two attempts to, rather than show the show properly, repackage the show for American audiences. The first of these was the Fox Kids dub, which was just, they just redubbed uh, the episodes completely. Fox Kids And suck. then there was a really bizarre one. I'm, it's a massive train wreck, but I love it just because it exists. It's turbocharged Thunderbirds. So it's footage of the puppets from the series. Things cut with new footage of live action Thunderbirds Hive, and they would interact with the puppet characters. Go, 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 the thing that I find the most bizarre, which is probably the main reason why I love that it exists, is rather than working on the hoods, now working for this guy called the Atrocimator, who's like a disembodied head who showed up and spoke to the hood, and he was played by Tim Curry. Amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. Tell me, Hood, what do you do every day? I try to be as evil as you. <laughs> Besides that, throw darts at Mr. Tracy's picture. Besides that, stealing candy from little babies? No, you idiot, you eat! Yes, I eat. With TX2, 
every time someone wants a meatball, they must come to me. Leave it to me, Atrocimator. I am a spy on this scene. He will get you the TX2, Master. <laughs> Let the evil begin. American TV practices just annoy me because, like, the whole thing was it was pitched to America in the first place. Like, they they're all Americans. The the characters are Americans, and it's all. You know, like they're all they all have American accents, so like I don't understand why you would dub it or anything. It's just, oh, it drives me nuts. Let's discuss the zenith, the 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 peak of Thunderbirds culture. Thunderbirds, thousand four. This movie had kind of like um, a development hell. When it started development in the nineties, it was much more faithful to the TV show while still being accessible to newcomers because the director at the time, Peter Hewitt, who I think he directed Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, he was a big Thunderbird fan. Also, I think the script writer they got was this guy called Kerry Kirkpatrick, who later went on to write the script for Chicken Run. He was an American who had no idea of what Thunderbirds was, but he watched all the episodes and he saw the potential. So they worked together to make this script, but then the studio were like, we don't know how it's gonna perform in America. And they wanted something more like Michael Bay's Armageddon, which was like, which came out was really big. The director wasn't happy, didn't want to something close to what Jerry Anderson was doing. So he kind of walked away and it was in development hell until Spy Kids came out and then a new scriptwriter came in and he basically tried to shoehorn Thunderbirds into the Spy Kids mold. And then they got Jonathan Frakes, aka writer from Star Trek The Next Generation to direct it. Yeah. Have you ever walked out of a mall into a huge parking area and realized you'd forgotten where you parked your car? You ever gone mountain biking? What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? Have you called a plumber to your home lately? How superstitious are you? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? To his credit, oh he did try, I think he did try to bring the film closer to the original series, but the script was dreadful and there was, he could only do so much. Rewatching it, it felt like, yeah, Spy Kids meets Star Trek meets uh, CBBS. <laughs> like CBBC. <laughs> It yeah. had that same vibe. Very strange. It has the worst performance of Ben Kingsley's career. Oh my god, yeah. Like, I normally I, I do enjoy hammy villain performances, but it's 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 too awful. It's just a bad performance yeah. by, by Kingsley. Um, as the hood, of course, the hood can never be done real justice. It's a shame. But I do, yeah. I do and enjoy of course, um, uh, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton, he's good in it. And I like the actor that yeah. got to play John. He, John was good in it. And I like Penelope and Parker. But aside oh, yeah. from that, yeah. It's a cool. very meth film. The, the, the best thing about it, of course, Rob, um, as we all know, is the busted theme song. Oh, I disagree I, I mean, because... Um, no, you're wrong. I, I, <laughs> before we move on from the movie, I want to say Jerry Anson did see the movie and he said, quote, it was the biggest load of crap I've ever seen in my life. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Wow. You're not even polite about it. Wow. That's hilarious. Alan Tracy is just your average teenager. Only his home is a closely guarded secret. His family Dad, is shrouded in mystery. But when lives need saving... Got a forest fire in Vladivostok. Typhoon heading for Singapore. Their elite team is the force the world counts on. However, in 2015, they did make a new series of Thunderbirds. One thing that I think kind of colours the experience a bit for me is... 
In 2005, Jerry did a remake of Captain Scarlet, which I felt was really good, and he was desperate to do the same thing with Thunderbirds, and right up until he was unable to work with his Alzheimer's, he was trying to get ITV to give him the right to let him make it, and then suddenly, a couple months after Jerry died, they announced they're making a new Thunderbird series. Mm. Yeah, that's really dodgy. Which is a shame, because well, Thunderbird looks really fun. It's good, but I think it was pitched a bit too young. I think it's... But it was made by fans of the TV series, so you can tell there's a lot of love into it. I just felt it wasn't really for me. Sure. But yeah. um, it was it was done by Weta, who is Peter Jackson's effects company, and Peter Jackson himself, he was a Thunderbirds fan, and Richard Taylor, head of Weta, he's a big Thunderbirds fan as well. Hmm. And they got Rosamund Pike to voice Lady Penelope, which is quite Which cool. was the perfect casting, I thought. And yeah. they got David Graham back to voice Parker. Well, that's great. So, yeah, there's stuff like that is just... Uh, there's, you know, like, I, I get what you're saying, Rob, but from, from what I've seen of, of Thunderbirds I'll Go, it, it looks like a fun, you know, just general kids' yeah. show. And, and, and yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, to ca carry well, the spirit of the did, show. I did keep up with it until things that I saw the first two seasons. Um, there were some episodes I thought were really good. Like, there's one episode called Chain of Command where the Thunderbirds were forbidden from going on rescues by some military arsehole, so they had to find ways to sneak on rescues. Yeah. I thought that was really the reason I stopped watching wasn't because of the show itself. It was because of the scheduling, because ITV scheduling for it was ridiculous. They'd like have wrong gaps between episodes. And I got so burnt out by that that yeah. I just gave up. We need to just start lobbying against these TV networks <laughs> being terrible. International Rescue, we have a situation. Thunderbirds are go! Jerry's son, Jamie, he's basically taking the reins. He's basically trying to realise like, the projects that Jerry had ideas for but wasn't able to make. One in particular I want to highlight is one called Firestorm, which is a puppet series based on the concept Jerry had. This one was actually made as an anime without his involvement. And it's been commissioned as a 26-episode series. And there's two mini-sodes available on YouTube, which I highly recommend checking out, as they are fantastic. And it's got a really rocking theme tune as well. That's cool. I'll check that out. say about Thunderbirds in general um, maybe it won't translate too much to like modern audiences and stuff like that but I think the idea of characters being like these kind of like heroes and stuff like that going out and saving the day and all that and kind of like that the romanticisation of that and you know the idealism of that I think that's something pretty good for children to kind of be inspired by and impacted by I think we need probably more TV shows like that um, you know? is yeah. why I love Thunderbirds because uh I like some a lot of stuff, stuff I like can be quite heavy and pessimistic at times, but and I like something that's optimistic it's about yeah. saving people's lives. Yeah, very man in that regard. Like, yeah, they both, they've both like they both got their fortresses of solitude that they hide out on, and then they fly out and rescue people. It's got that same kind of vibe. Yeah, cool. like the mysterious force that saves the mundane life, as it were, you know, and keeps yeah, keeps your, balance. Your friendly neighbourhood man, kind exactly. Of yeah. yeah. That's, that's really, it's really nice. So just before we um, wrap up, um, I'm going to ask you, I think we've already kind of answered this, um, but favourite episodes? Yeah, Moving the Dead. That had a weird impression for me from start to finish. I was kind of like gripped, like, 
really kind of on the edge of my chair, just like wanting to know what happens next, really. So I like that one. My favourite one was the one where the hood kills children. No, no. It's the... Um, like my my favourite one was was Attack of the Giant Alligators because it felt very 1950s um, monster movie, and I, I really enjoyed that as a. And it was also set in Louisiana, which is just a really cool setting to have a, a story, and so I enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my favourite is Operation Crash Dive, although a close second would be Something Pro. Nice. You're on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Bluecast Pod, so give us a follow on there. And we also have an email address, which is bluecasteroutlook.com. So please send us like, any feedback or like suggestions for future episodes. Like eventually, we will do episodes on other Jerry Anderson shows. Like we'll do Captain Scarlet Stingray, maybe even like Space Precincts and Having the Castle because I love those shows. But yeah, if you've got any other suggestions for things you want us to talk about, um, give us an email. Yeah, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Yeah, of course, subscribe to everything. And also, we are on Apple Podcasts. So please, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. If you like what we're doing, please share it to friends and family who you think might be interested. Yeah. So thank you for listening, everyone. James. Yeah. Before we go, can you tell our lovely listeners what we'll be discussing in our next episode? Yes, because I'm actually very, very excited for this one. I actually have been excited for this one for months, actually. I really want to talk about it, and I'm excited to read it again and watch it again. But to be honest, I have probably read this series five times in total, the original graphic novels. Scott Pilgrim, the one and the only. You know, the one that, that fights the world, fights the evil ex-boyfriends for his one true love, Ramona Flowers... And it's also kind of an asshole, but it's still a great, great story, and we're going to be talking about that uh, next month. So you better not miss it. Uh, it's going to be a great one. I'm going to yep. make sure. I'll uh, make sure there's going to be a great animation for it as well when I get round to making it. <laughs> it's one of my favourite comic series as well, so I'm very excited to discuss it. So it's going to be a great discussion. Thank you for listening, everyone. Until next time, the last bit to you. Farewell. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Yep, stay well, and we'll see you, in, see you in the next one. A brief Thunderbird 4, the mole Thunderbird 2, or Virgil Tracy, with the FAB new KFC Popcorn Chicken Colonel's Kids Meal. We're on our way.